Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. I'm going to be talking about topic about women, how God loves women in the Bible. It's very, it's so much, it's so dear to my heart. I was blessed by some women in my life, and as you know, I share my story with some of you. You probably know that I wouldn't be here if it were not for my mom. So I told you the story, some of you probably know. My mom became pregnant, and she was way over 40. And I'm the last one, I'm the last child. And, you know, I'm the sixth one, but I'm supposed to be the seventh one. I had a brother who died when he was two weeks old. So my mom had a very poor condition, health condition. When she became pregnant, the doctor at the time, living in a communist country, she, the doctor just advised my mom and said, if you want to have a baby or if you want to live and take care of the other babies, I would suggest that you abort the baby. But my mom says that, you know, I don't care. I will go whatever is God's will. Let God rule in our life. And eventually... You know, I was born, I was healthy, and my mom gave a birth, and she was healthy. She survived it, and after a week, we both came home. And it just tells you that it doesn't matter what the people say around you. God is always in control, no matter what. Right now, I was also very blessed. I've been blessed with a woman that I married for over 22 years now. And some of you might not remember the story, but 2009, when the doctor told her that you have a breast cancer, that was the, probably one of the scariest moments that I ever heard in my life. And for a moment, I just totally lost my concentration. I just totally, how to say, I just loved it. I didn't even know what I could say to my wife. It was just so shocking. But over the days and over the weeks, I learned a very critical lesson. How to be the best support I could for my real wife. And brethren, I've been also blessed with a wonderful daughter who is also here. Almost look like me, have the same eye color. She's beautiful, she's wonderful. And also, I have so many wonderful sisters here at church that you know, it's a great privilege to be so close, to be like friends together with all of you. It's, it's a great blessing. But before I go into my, deep into my message, I want to show you an image. I want to show you a picture. And I want to see if you're going to recognize who's on this picture. So, there's a young lady. Let me come a little bit forward. You ready now? If you're now who she is, just raise your hand. She's been lately on the news very often, all the major networks. So you're going to know this lady. She is from Pakistan. She's now 16 years old. And at the age of 18, she started to have a wonderful dream. She wanted to be a doctor. And living in Pakistan, in the area where it's strongly controlled by Taliban, girls were banned to attend the school. Her dreams were almost crashed. So at this young age, she became the youngest activist for the education for women. On October 9th, 2012, her name is, by the way, Malala. She was shot in the head and neck in an assassination attempt by Taliban gunmen when returning home on a school bus. Can you imagine that? She was shot. It was specifically, she was specifically targeted by the Taliban forces. 
And in the days immediately following the attack, she remained unconscious in a critical condition. But later her condition improved enough, and she was sent to England, to, I believe in Birmingham, United Kingdom, for intensive rehabilitation. And brethren, two weeks ago, on July 12th, at 11.20 p.m., in a speech at the United Nations on her 16th birthday, Malala called on the world readers to provide, and it is a quote, free compulsory education for every child, for every girl, for every child. She said, let us pick up our books and our pens. And she told this thing to all the young leaders that are present at the United Nations from over 100 countries. And she said, they are our most powerful weapons. One child, one teacher, one book, and one pen can change the world. Education is the only solution. And later on in her speech she said, they thought that the bullet would silence us, she said, but they failed. And then out of that silence came a thousands of voices. The terrorists thought that they would change our aims and stop our ambition, but nothing changed in my life except this. And she said, weakness, fear, and hopelessness died. Strength, power, and courage was born. I am the same Malala. My ambitions are the same. My hopes are the same. My dreams are the same. Brethren, just think for a moment. We live in the most blessed country in the world. Do we really concern about our education here in this country? Let me ask you a simple question. We have some young ladies, and I'll ask my daughter. I asked her today. Do you have a dream? Do you have a passion? Do you have ambition? Do you know what you want to be when you grow up? Remember what you told me today? Don't be shy. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, but she told me that she would like to be a teacher. So, if my daughter would live in Pakistan, in this, in this area controlled by Taliban, that would be almost impossible for a lady to become a teacher, and for a lady to become a teacher and teaching young boys, that would be totally unacceptable in this part of the region. And you know, we have other ladies here. Rachel, are you here? She's hiding. I can see her. Do you have a passion? Do you have a dream? What would you like to be when you grow up? A what? Something to do with writing. Journalist? Good. What about you, Rebecca? Do you have any dreams? She want to be a nurse. You see, living in this country, we are open. We can, we can pursue our dreams and passions, and we can become whatever we want to, as long as we're going to work hard on it and pursue our dreams. This lady, she had to sacrifice almost her life just to have a right to be educated, to have receive a simple education. Now what about older ladies? How many of you have at least high school education? Can you raise your hand? I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. My mom only had sixth grade. How many of you had college education or university degree? Brethren, just look across the room. How blessed we are living in this country, brethren. It's unbelievable. So, you see, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer. Just think in your head. What would be the status of women in Western society today without Christianity? Ponder the question in your mind. 
And why, and why I'm asking this? Because there are some feminists, okay? They charge that Christianity, they say the Bible, the church are anti-female and horribly oppressive to women. That's what they would say. Does God really hate women? Did the Apostle Paul disrespect them in the New Testament writing? Somebody quotes some of his writing and says, you know, he was so disrespectful of women. See, one way to answer this question, brethren, you know, we don't have to study the Bible. The very simple one. Just look across the globe today. And look at some Muslim countries. The way how they treat the women. They will probably have the same culture if we are not for Christianity here in the Western world. We will probably live in the same society. Saudi Arabia. Women are not even allowed to drive car. If they go on the streets, their entire face has to be well, double well. That's how strong it is, the oppression in the Muslim countries. So you see, what would be the status of women in our society? if or not for Jesus Christ and for Christianity? That's a very good question. So what I'm going to do today, brethren, with the rest of the time that I have, we'll go through some Bible stories, especially from the New Testament, and especially from the Gospel. We'll go through some accounts, how Jesus interacted with the women. And I will show you that Christianity is the best thing Jesus Christ is the best thing that ever happened to women. But before we open our Bibles, you know, I will give you some historical background. How the women were treated at that time. Let's start with ancient Greece. Okay? Ancient Greece. So let me give you some, you know, we can go home, you can do your own research. It's very easy, just go on the internet, you can go to the library, you can research it. There's no secrets there. But it says that the women were not allowed to leave the, the house unless women was accompanied by a trustworthy male escort. It's not like you ladies decided to go shopping and just sit in your car and drive and you go shopping. Back then, that was illegal. A wife was not permitted to eat or interact with the male guest in her husband's home. She had to, she had to go to her own woman's quarter just to participate in a meal. And men kept... Most of their men, men kept their wives under lock and key, and women had the social status almost of a slave. Girls were not allowed to go to school, and when they grew up, they were not allowed to say anything in public or to even speak in public. Women were considered inferior to men, and, the, you know, some of you, the Greek poets equated women with evil, and it's all over the Greek writings. And you can, some of you can probably remember the story of Pandora and her box. That's where, you know, came all that tradition that women, was, women were responsible for unleashing all the evil on this world. All come from Greek culture. What about the Romans? Women. Roman law placed a wife under the absolute control of her husband, who had ownership of her and all her possessions. So if the men decided to divorce a woman, he could just kick her out, and she lost everything she had before, even children. Okay, He could divorce her if she went out in public without a veil. Her husband had the power of life and death over his wife and also over his children. That's how powerful was the Roman society. And also, as with the Greek culture, women were not allowed to speak in public. So that's just a simple few descriptions. There's way more, but we don't have time to go through all of them. But what about the Jewish culture? 
Jewish culture should be one of the closest to Christianity. Many people think they should be our brothers and our sisters. So, when talking about the Jewish culture, we have to talk about the oral Torah, okay, the man's tradition. So, the oral Torah, the law, it says, prohibited women from reading the Torah out loud. Women are not allowed to just get the Torah, the scroll, and read it out loud in the public. Synagogue worship was segregated with women never allowed to be here. Most were restricted to the, to the roles of little or no authority in the Jewish homes. And they were also considered to be inferior to men and under the authority of men. So they either their father before marriage or their husband after marriage. That's it. And some of you who did a little research, you know the Jewish prayer that they will thank God. They will thank God that they're not a Gentile or they're not a woman. And that's what they would pray every single day when they get up. That's how serious it is. Okay? And I will give you some quotes from Jewish Talmud. Okay? You can all go and go and research. But some of the quotes from the Jewish Talmud, he says, He who talks with a woman in public brings evil upon himself. Just think about it. If you just stop in the street, you talk to a stranger woman. Okay? The rabbi were advising their students that they were teaching across the board that that's evil. They were never supposed to do that. Another rabbinic teacher, teaching prominent in Jesus, they taught, one is not so much to greet a woman and let the words of the law, the Torah, be born rather than taught to a woman. That's how serious it was. And if a man teaches his daughter the law, it's as though he taught her obscenity. Brethren, that's absurd, okay? But that's, that's real. You can go and research it. I'm not making it up, okay? I'm not making it up. And we can move on a little bit farther. What about the church fathers, okay? Talking about late first and early second century. The Clement of Alexandria believed and taught that every woman should blush because she's a woman. Just because she's a woman. Tertullian, who lived about the same time, said, You, Eve, are devil's gateway. You destroyed so easily God's image, which is man, and on account of you desert, this is death, even the Son of God had to die. That's a strong word, very powerful word for a very influential Christian leader back at that time. Augustine, in the fourth century, believed that the woman's image of God was inferior to that of the man's. And unfortunately, brethren, you study, there are nastier things than that. I just, I just, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable to read to, to, to them today. But brethren, Jesus loved women and treated them with great respect and dignity. There is one thing that when you read the gospel, you'll be amazed how many times women are mentioned in the gospel. He's totally against the culture that existed at that day. The value of women that exists in the New Testament, brother, right here in our Bibles, okay, is now never found in any Greek or Roman culture at that time or in any other society. Never ever you will find anything, any writings from that time that is, you know, that is so positive and encouraging about women. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. But let, let's look at some, some writing in the, in, the, in the Gospel. Let's go to John. Okay. Go to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, we'll start with chapter 4. Gospel of John in chapter 4. And you know the story. 
all this chapter is about the Samaritan woman. Okay, but let's pick up in verse 7. It says, John chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciple had gone away into the city to buy food. Just this statement alone. The Jewish teacher, a Jewish man and a Jewish rabbi, very respected, would say to a woman, Give me a drink. That was something unheard in that society, okay? Just keep reading. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, she knew what kind of culture she was living in, okay? So she said, how is it that you, being a Jew, has a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Or, you know, the better they should write it, the Jews hated Samaritans. That would be the easier statement, okay? And it was true. But if we skip down to verse 25, in verse 25 it says, The woman said to him, she said, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ, and when he comes he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I am he. And in verse 27 he says, And at this point his disciples came, and when they saw this thing, they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet they were afraid to say. No one said, what do you see? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left the water pot, went her way into the city and said to the man, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That they went out of the city and came to him. Brethren, the Samaritan woman was the first evangelist in the Gospel of John. Okay? Disciples couldn't get it, what he was trying to teach them. No, they, they just couldn't get it. They still, their, their mind was still influenced by the culture of that day. And she went and told the story. She recognized who Jesus was, a Samaritan woman. So we see, this woman in Jewish eyes, she was ceremonially unclean. First thing, she was a Samaritan. And second thing, she was a woman. And a Jewish man stopped and talked to this woman. That was heretical. That was not acceptable in a Jewish cult. Jesus just didn't care about the Jewish cult. Jesus Christ came to reveal the Father to us. And he had a very difficult, difficult time to do that. Because to break our concept, the way we live, is very difficult. That's why we need God's Holy Spirit. Let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 5. If we just read the Bible, not really understanding the context, the cultural aspect of the time, we might just go through the scriptures and not even realize what we read. We live in the 21st century. Things like that wouldn't pay attention, people wouldn't pay attention to specifically. But back then, over 2,000 years ago, it was a different, it was a different story. Mark chapter 5, and in verse 21, you all know this story. He says in verse 21, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, the great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. So the first thing, he worshipped Jesus Christ as a ruler of a synagogue. 
Okay, and then he, he backed him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So that's the motive for Jesus' trick. He says, yes, I will go, and I will heal your daughter. So now they start walking, and something unbelievable will happen. Now, verse 25. Now a certain woman have a flow of blood for 12 years. So you can picture yourself living as this woman, okay? Being constantly, ritually, unclean for 12 years because of the flow of blood. So basically, this woman was not even allowed to go on the street, okay? She, have, she, had to have, she had to have a special clothing, and she would have to advise people, scream herself, don't touch me, don't come because I am unclean. Because whoever touched her, he would be unclean, or she would be unclean. So she's been suffering for 12 years, and in verse 26, 26 says, And had suffering many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For he said, if only, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Can you imagine what a strong faith this woman had? It's not just, you know, I want to ask him, and I want to just back him. She just said, if I know, I can feel it. If I just touch his clothes, not him, because I don't want to make him unclean. I just want to touch his clothes. If I do this thing, I'll be made well. And in verse 29 he says, Immediately the, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see, the multitude, you and you say, Who touched me? Always his disciples, Jesus, always out of touch. They can never see, they cannot never understand what's happening around them. But Jesus said to this woman, and, he, and in verse 32, and he looked around to see her, to see to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. You see, another she worshipped him. She came and fell before him, worshipped him, and told him the whole truth, and said, and he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, and be healed of your affliction. That's another unbelievable, powerful story of a woman who is another believer that many men just pass by. And they have such a hard time to believe just what Jesus, who, who he claimed he was. And this woman recognized who Jesus is, just right away, just like that. And he even went later, and the synagogue's daughter actually died, and he just brought her back to life. That's another story of another little lady there, that Jesus was so passionate. Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. The story about Martha and Mary. It's fabulous. If you don't know the concept, okay, of the first century Judaism, you will miss the story. But if you understand the culture or society living at the time, let's read the story. Verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her, into her house. And she has a sister called Mary who, was also, who, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his, and heard his word. We'll just read it and just keep it. Women sit at Jesus' feet, okay? And he was listening to Jesus' word. So in other, let me, in, in Jewish concept, you know what that would be called? 
she was a disciple of Jesus. Because only Rabbi would allow his disciple to sit at his feet, okay? So, she allowed, so he allowed this woman to be present and sit at his feet and listen to his teachings. And then, but in verse 40 it says, But Martha was distracted with much, with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But I love this verse 42. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Lady, if you have the passion for the word of God, keep it going. Because there's one thing that will never be ever taken away from you. Let the fire keep burning in your heart. Your passion for the word of God, it will never be taken away from you. Brethren, it's a wonderful story here. And you know, many times you read it and we missed it. Because we don't understand the culture or society back then at this time. So, he taught women, and he was never afraid of sharing his thoughts and ideas with women that were always present around in his inner circle. Luke 13. And remember the quote I told you about the rabbi who said that, you know, the rather be, you know, the, the Torah rather be born than taught to a woman? Jesus totally disregarded the tradition of the elders. Luke 13. I don't know if you ever noticed this thing in the Bible. Luke 13. And verse 10. Yes, Luke 13 verse 10. Let's read the story, and I will show you what I'm talking about, okay? If you know this thing, that's great, but if you not, we'll talk about it a little bit later. Verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bent over and, and, and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So he not only spoke to her, he also, he also laid his hands on her. Okay, but just keep reading. But the ruler of the synagogue answered answer with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. And verse 15, the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So are not this woman, being daughter of Abraham, who said in her span, think of it, for 18 years, has lost from his span on the Sabbath. There's one little phrase, I don't know if you catch it. It says, daughter of Abraham. Try to find another statement in the entire Jewish Bible when somebody referred to the daughter of Abraham. And it's not. You cannot find in the Bible and you cannot find in the Jewish writings. It's the original Jewish Jesus statement that he says, daughter of Abraham. Because usually how the Jews refer to themselves, they say, we are sons of Abraham. The other was not even in the pictures 
And Jesus says, she is a daughter of Abraham. And you know, as much as we just think nothing much when you read this verse, doesn't say much to us living in the 21st century, but back then, that was a revolution back then, when people would read statements like that. Okay, that was a revolution. It was a revolutionary thinking, what Jesus had to present to them. If you find it in the Jewish writings, if you find it, let me know, because I, I spent lots of time trying to research it. I couldn't find it. It's original, only here once in the Bible. It's nowhere else. So if you find it, let me know. Luke 8. Luke 8 and verse 1. Just look at now, as you read the story, just look, look to see how close Jesus was, his inner circle, and who was included in his inner circle. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, okay, the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called the Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, and Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Just based on these three verses, at least half of his inner circle were women. Again, when you read something quick, stories like that, you wouldn't pay attention. But the importance is right here, it's right there. The women were from the beginning included, included in the Jesus circle. Jesus never tried to get rid of them. He always included every, everyone. Matthew 27. Matthew 27 and verse 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. So we have the Roman guards who see something spectacular, something marvelous that happened, and they said it was truly Son of God. Okay, keep reading. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar. Where were the disciples? Where were the twelve? They ran away from their lives. Only John, poor guy, was standing there. Where were the others? They're not even here. They're not even close. And if you move over to chapter 28, just right after Jesus' resurrection, in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to, see, came to see Tom. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and said on him, His countenance was like the lightning, and his clothes as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Roman soldier, from the fear, they couldn't even move. By the woman are still standing there and searching and looking for Jesus. Do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen as he said. Come, see the place where the, where, where, where the Lord lay. 
and go quickly and tell his <laughs> and come quickly and do what? And tell his disciples, okay? The Lord is risen. Women, tell the disciples. This is, you know, this is unbelievable story, brethren. As I said, we can so mess this when you read it, you know, living in 21st century. But if you were transferred to the 1st century, that would be revolutionary, okay? One more time. Go quickly, take the disciples who has risen from the dead. And in verse 6, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. That's, brethren, that is so amazing. So we see, there are many other examples, brethren, but I don't have time to go through all of them. But we can see how Jesus treated women in four of the Gospels, okay? Now, some people claim that Apostle Paul was the worst one, okay? So let's see some verses that Apostle Paul wrote about women. Let's see them, let's see them. Let's go to Galatians, the scriptures that was read today by young, young men, men read to us. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. That's Paul writing, okay? For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And verse 28. Thanks to Christ and because of Christ, he said, there is, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Did Apostle Paul really, did he really hate women? I don't know. Let's see some other writings. Some writing of Paul's and C's. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Brethren, if you would live in a Roman society, okay, and somebody would write to you something like that, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. If somebody would write to you something like that, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that was unthinkable. That was unthinkable. I'm not kidding. In Roman society, in Greek culture, if something, somebody would say to a husband, you have to love your wife, and not just love your wife. You have to love your wife the same way as Jesus Christ loved his church, that you are really ready to die for your wife. Just think about it. What can be more powerful than that? Did Paul really hate women? I don't think so. What about Peter? Okay, first century. What about Peter? We all know the scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. And let's just, we can start from verse 1, but let's say verse 7. It's the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Husband likewise. Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being urged together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Urged together. 
no separations. We are into it together, men as well as women. And men, if you think that you have such a you know, high standing with God because you're a man, if you don't treat your wife right, then you better stop praying because God will never listen to your prayers anyway. At least that's what Peter writes here. So brethren, all these concepts that you read in the Bible, they're all written in the first century, okay? And all these concepts that you read about women, as I told you, they were revolutionary, unheard of, unthinkable, impossible. And it's so nice when we sit here in country like Canada, and it's so good that our girls, our ladies, can become passionate about almost everything. They can become doctors, they can become lawyers, they can become anything they want. And even ladies have strong presence in politics. Like, for example, one of the greatest leaders that you know, I very admired was Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister of Great Britain. And I remember living in Poland at the time. She was so hateful of communism. So obviously anybody who hates communism was a great friend of Poland. So, you know, she wanted to destroy communism as much as, you know, Ronald Reagan, who was the president of the United States. So you see, brethren, unfortunate story is that there are still some churches today that will preach that women are second-class citizens. There are many churches like that today. There are churches in North America that are still practice polygamy, and they say that's according to the God's word. Okay? And they will live by that. Okay, there are, many church, there are many churches in today's society who base their doctrines based on one, maybe two scriptures. And I will show you one of them before I go. First Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. And verse 34. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husband at home, for it is shameful for women to speak at church. What is that supposed to mean? But brethren, to know the meaning to these verses, you have to stick around for the Bible study. It's going to come a little bit later. I'm not going to touch this topic. So, brethren, in the end, God, who created men and women, who was nobody else than Jesus Christ. And, you know, some of you can probably remember the story that I, that I gave a message that I was quoting the Exodus chapter 6. When, when Moses asked God about, what is your name, when God was speaking to Moses, and God says to Moses, he says, your forefathers, they knew me under this name, and he says, El Shaddai. And it is such a powerful scripture. And if you go in Hebrew, El Shaddai means the breasted one. But he says, but from now on, my name is Yahweh. What is God telling them? When you were small, I was a mother to you. Now when you grow up, you need a father, and you need some commandments. So brethren, God doesn't have any problem with the gender, as we may have in today's society. God as much loves you 
as he loves the man. And as we read some scripture, there is no difference when it comes to salvation. So, brethren, what can be the greatest that ever happened to women through all these centuries, thousands of years? It's no one else than Jesus Christ. May God be with you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.